0: Good morning, everyone. Um, Today, I want to share with you some absolute hidden gems that are in Isaiah 9. Now, you know the passage, we've, we've just heard it. And also, it's one of those fantastic passages that comes out around Christmas. Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. And it's a beautiful passage, but I think we might have missed the true gem in there now i will explain that but first we're going to have to dive into matthew to get there now where do we start with matthew because if i'm honest right, we get our bibles we've got matthew it kicks off in my bible says the new testament then we get matthew and i know the, the books the order of the bible was decided a bit later but as a like I mean, if you're into story writing, you need a, a first paragraph that grabs you. You need a start that will hook the reader. And we get, this is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob was the father of Judah and his brothers, Judah was the father of Per... You see where I'm going? It's, it's not a gripper, unless... Unless you are a first century Jewish reader. If you're a believer of Jesus at the time, you may well have had a Jewish background. But if you were not a uh, believer in Jesus and you just had a Jewish background, this is like lightning on dry grass. This stuff is pure fire. Because do you know what Matthew's done? He is connecting the great story of Israel The story of God and his people to Jesus. And he is saying this is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah. The son of David, the son of Abraham, because he's connecting all of this to Jesus, saying he has come to fulfill it all. Now, if that isn't lightning to dry grass and controversial and whatever in first century Jewish terms, you're missing it because it's fire. Because right back in the garden, we get the snake tempting Adam and Eve. And as he tempts them and sin enters the world, there's this first promise that the seed will crush the serpent, but the serpent will bruise his heel. Then we fast forward a bit in in the story of Israel and you get Abraham and in Abraham's case he gets told that his descendants will be as vast as the stars and they will bless the nations. His people through his people the nations will be blessed. That's not just like a blessing this is like restoring the goodness of Eden will come through Abraham's family. Fast forward again you get Judah and Judah is told that a king will come in the line of Judah and he will reign over his people. Fast forward again, David from the line of Judah, the first king from the line of Judah, a man after God's own heart. Yet it doesn't quite click for David. He mucks up. Succession of kings, they muck up. It gets worse and worse and worse. Then they get exiled. Then we have some some radio silence from the prophets. And then Jesus. Basically, Matthew has dropped us right in to the story of Israel, to the story of God and his people. Very deliberately. Very carefully and very cleverly. And then we get this bit. This is where Joseph comes in, because the readers of this at the time would have been thinking, "Okay, great. You've connected all these people right back to Abraham. I mean, a lot of families can do this because we are all one family. But he says. Thus, there were 14 generations. In all from Abraham to David, 14 from David to the exile to Babylon and 14 from the exile to the Messiah. And it talks about how Jacob was the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, and Mary was the mother of Jesus, who is called the Messiah. So I'd be thinking at the time, so what? Joseph, I mean, forgetting the whole Messiah thing, Joseph, this carpenter, not really like this guy whose family's from Bethlehem. He's living in Nazareth. This isn't fantastic. This is the Messiah. This isn't the king we've been waiting for. But he drops us right into Joseph's story. So let's follow it through, because I think Matthew's pretty good at crafting a story. And he says, this is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Pause. Now, I've got a little story and I'm going to caveat it with a little bit of a warning, right? Because it might upset one or two people if you're in. Yeah, I'm going to roll with it anyway, just because, hey, it's a good story. I had a friend once who posted something quite controversial towards a Christian audience on Facebook. I mean, talk about mistakes. Facebook, is that the place to put controversial things? I don't know. Um, But anyway, he did it. And he wrote this. It was like one of those definition posts, like this word means this. And he just wrote Christianity. One girl's lie about an affair that got really out of hand. Now, for me, I found it a little bit funny, but also a little bit offensive. I'm not going to lie. I was like, how can you not consider it more closely than that? But actually... To Joseph, maybe even to a Jewish reader in this situation, that might be how they're thinking about this. Because how else can you get pregnant? So Joseph's there. Mary's pregnant. They're engaged to be married. And. I mean, what was he meant to do? Like what other. I mean, come on, think with me for a minute. How do you get pregnant? There's only one way. There is literally only one way to get pregnant. I mean, historically, maybe not modern speaking, but hey, let's go with it. There is a father of this child and it's not Joseph. So Matthew goes straight there with his story. She's, con- uh, he's, she's pregnant by the Holy Spirit. And because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her pub- to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. He was going to break it off. He knew what this meant. It meant that she cheated on him. But he was a good guy. He wanted to do it quietly out of the public eye. But then he has this dream. Jesus is our English kind of version. There's a long line of how it was translated into Greek and Latin and English eventually. The name Yeshua. Quite a common name around that time, kind of like Joshua. But the meaning of the name is significant. Yah, the Lord. The Lord saves. The Lord will rescue. Is the meaning of the name Yeshua. And. It's. It's a great name to give the the guy that's going to save people. It's also a great name to give God who's going to save his people. And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which is God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife but he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to the son. And he gave him the name Jesus. Now, I know if you're like me, the prophecy said they will call him Emmanuel and they name him Jesus. And that's not a direct translation. I'm not going to go into that. I've got a few ideas, but that's not where I want to get to. I want to get to the Isaiah bit. I want to get to Isaiah 9. But Matthew is still crafting a brilliant story. He's gone through genealogy. He's connected Jesus up to the line. And he has made four claims four times in just the opening verses that Jesus is the Messiah. To this Jewish audience, he is making bold claims about who Jesus is. And then he goes even further. He starts not just connecting it to the lineage. He starts connecting it to the prophetic words about the Messiah. You see in Israel's whole story and in scripture, the prophets play a key role connecting people to to God, basically saying like return to God, come back to God. Either they're connecting people back to God or they're looking forward to the coming Messiah. So Matthew's got the lineage. He's got the fact that He's going to be born of the Holy Spirit, which makes him God with us. He's connected up the name and he's connected up to the prophets. So seeing as this is such a genius opening from Matthew, let's dive into the prophets because he's already quoted Isaiah once from Isaiah 7 when he said he will be called Emmanuel God with us. But I want us to go to, Isaiah 9, to this wonderful christmas passage and if you're if you're like me i mean i i do have a distinct memory of sitting in a saint john's carol service the candles all around i'm pretty sure it was barry turner doing the reading unto us a child is born unto us a son is given the government will be on his shoulders he'll be called wonderful counsellor mighty god prince of peace everlasting father of the greatness of his government and peace there will be no end right this wonderful passage quite often we might read it in that tone of like away in a manger and silent night unto us a child is born but i think we've missed it because you know these verses maybe throw in verse two as well verses six and seven get all the airtime from isaiah nine like they're the ones that we turn to but there's that weird bit in the middle and i always like focusing on the weird bits because i think there's something to be found in there so let's go for okay we'll 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 chuck in verse two because we like that one that's quite a nice one but we'll chuck in verse two and i'm just going to read it the people walking in darkness have seen a great light on those living in the land of deep darkness a light has dawned You have enlarged the nation, increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. Hit pause again. Four times here, Isaiah has used the word joy or rejoice. That should set the tone for the way we read this. You have increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. Now, war scenes, that doesn't really go with Christmas, right? We don't think of war when we think of Christmas. But warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. That's I mean, we've probably seen films, we've probably seen TV shows that show the, the gore of battle and the... Victors rejoicing afterwards. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. Weird way to introduce unto us a child is born unto us, a son is given. Except it's not. Because this whole bit is about the reason why the son is given this is the battle the yoke that burdens them and the bar across their shoulders and the rod of their oppressor is this great symbol of sin of evil's presence in the world and the reign of an army that is not the kings do you see where i'm going this is it this is the reason because they rejoice because you have shattered this isn't you've brushed it off you have shattered it completely the yoke that burdens them the bar across their shoulders the rod of the oppressor the sin the anxiety the health issues everything in this world that is not of the kingdom of god has been broken by the child who's born by the son who's given this is the gem even says for as in the day of midian's defeat little side note midian was defeated by gideon and gideon the the prophetic word was like a barley loaf rolling down the hill knocking over the tents he was a really ordinary guy he was really ordinary and yet he did something extraordinary and freed and beat the midianites off It was one of the great victories for Israel and it came through a very normal source. It's so good. It just puts a smile on my face, that rejoicing as the shattering of sin happens. I think the tone I mean, just just skip to the last verse, the last bit of verse seven, the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. What other words for zeal are there? There's like fire, passion, the energies of God will accomplish this. This isn't a sleepy passage where we think of the little baby Jesus. By all means do, because the absurdity of the infinite God becoming an infant baby will never, never not be a mystery and a wonder. But this passage is all about rejoicing over the fact that sin is defeated. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel to the fire. Another weird verse. But the prophetic, the way it works in the Old Testament is you quite often get this this look forward and this look forward links you to Jesus as the first coming. But it also links you to the second coming of Jesus. So sometimes it looks at both through the same lens. It's quite. It's interesting, but this I think what's happening here. Every warrior's boot used in battle every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning with fuel to the fire. Everything from that war that is around us, the fact that the kingdom has come out and is still to come out and there is so much suffering and injustice and issues with our world. Everything that was part of that war will be pushed out, will be burnt in the fire because there will be no place for it in God's kingdom. This is the great joy because to us, a child is born to us, a son is given and the government will be on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace of the greatness and of his government and peace. There will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing it and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this that's the way I'm reading it now okay yeah I've got stirred up and I'm on my own which doesn't have the same benefits of like if we were together I'd hope you'd be like amen like hallelujah we're not really that kind of church culture but hey maybe some of you might have done that this is such a good passage of scripture because it points not only to Jesus' sacrifice on the cross, it points to the way his kingdom will be. It points to the way sin is going to be dealt with on the cross. It points to the way in the future forever there will be justice and righteousness. This is pure zeal for the Lord. And this is what Matthew wanted to connect to us. Matthew wanted to say the Messiah has come in Matthew. He keeps repeating this. He did this to fulfill the prophets. He wanted to keep going back to these passages and saying he did all this to fulfill it all. Because on the cross, when Jesus died, he dealt with sin once and for all from the cross. When Jesus died, he took our shame and our burdens and our sickness and everything and dealt with it on the cross. And when he rose again, he declared it is finished. He declared this is over. This battle has been done. Now, we're in that paradox of the in-between between the, his first coming and his second coming. The kingdom is here and is yet to come. But this Christmas, as you read the Nativity story and as you hear the songs proclaiming the good news about the kingdom and about Jesus coming. Have that, that joy. That rejoicing in your heart. Take great comfort that the way it is now will not be the way it is forever. Jesus, Yeshua, the Messiah has come and is coming and his kingdom will have no end. God bless you this week, everyone. Take care.